Okay, so I'm happy so many people showed up. Uh, I think it's the first live uh, event in Ashay. I mean, in terms of Shiram, I think, you know, since before COVID, possibly. And uh, it's a good time to get together to discuss uh, some things that are important for us to know during this time of year. Uh, let's begin with the Gemara and Brachas. The Gemara and Brachas on Daf Yud Zayin Amin Aleph says, asks the question, Nashim b'mai zachyan. What is the schus that women have to get into Elam Haba? What schus does a woman bring with her to get Elam Haba? That's a funny question the Gemara asks, right? Because what is that supposed to mean? Why is a woman less than a man? Women have mitzvahs and men have mitzvahs. Women have chesed and men have chesed. Women have... What's, what, what's going on with the Gemara? What's the Gemara asking? And the answer is, says Rebbe Chan Vasserman, that of course women have many mitzvahs of their own to get into Elam Haba. But the Gemara wants to know how are women going to be zaycha in Tyra? Because the greatest of all mitzvahs is Tyra, and women are not really directly commanded to learn Tyra as men are. Women have, um, are supposed to learn halachas that pertain to them, um, you know, and they're allowed to learn Tyra, but they're not commanded to learn Tyra. Like a man is commanded to learn even things that are not per- pertinent to them. If their men are learning, uh, you know, downstairs, um, you know, they're learning uh, nazikin and, and, you know, damages and things that are, might not pertain, the kalayim, peya, you know, different things that we, no one has farms here, we don't live in Eretz Israel, but we're learning all types of things. That's a mitzvah for a man to learn. For women, a woman doesn't have such a commandment to learn, to learn things. So, and Talmatar is connected kulam. There is no greater mitzvah in the world than Talmud Torah. So you could perhaps like do mitzvahs all day and not it won't be the equivalent of learning one word of Torah. So since a woman's not commanded to learn Torah, it's like almost not fair. So how is a woman going to get Torah? How is she going to come up to Shemayim and have all of that turbocharged mitzvah of Talmud Torah? That's how Rabbi Khan Masiman understands the Gemara's question. And the Gemara says, among other things, this is really what, what I want to focus on this evening, Women have reward for sending their husbands to study in the base Madrash and waiting for them to return from the base Madrash which means that very often a woman, um, you know, her husband goes out to work, uh, goes out to learn early in the morning. They have a seder, let's say, uh, early in the morning. They go to a dafyei And it's not a good time for the husbands to leave because the women, you know, have a lot on their plate 
they, you know, they have to get their kids dressed and on the bus and, you know, and, and take care of other things, clean the dishes maybe and do this and that and, you know, make sure the house is in order and no one's there to help her because the husband, the husband flew the coop, the husband's going to learn. At night, they want to, you know, come home, have a nice supper with their husbands, schmooze a little bit, and they, they wolf down a supper, and then, you know, half an hour later, they're out the door going to night seder. And he said, that's not fair. Like, well, you know, I, I want to spend time with my husband. I, ma- I got married. I don't want to live a, I could have, you know, I don't want to live alone. I want to enjoy my husband's company. I want to do that. I want to take a walk. I want to take a bike ride. I want to, you know, uh, go out to a restaurant for... That's the schuss that a woman has entire loss of lovely. The fact that they wait for their husbands, they send their husbands off to learn to the base madrash. This isn't talking just to people that are in Kailal. People could work a whole day, nine to five, nine to eight, whatever. They learn in the morning. Their wives say, fine, it's great. I want you to go learn in the morning. I want you to go learn at night. Night say there, come home whenever. And... All of that great schus accrues to the wife, and that's her schar of Tyra in the next world. So if you want to say, I, I, I also want that amazing schus of Tyra, very easy. The fact that you're allowing your husbands to go and learn, even though it's very inconvenient, very difficult, you know, in the morning it's hard, at night it's hard, and you're, maybe in your mind you're complaining, or maybe you're, you're complaining verbally to your husbands maybe. But you should know, and that's why it's good for us to get together and to remind ourselves of this, that there's great reward that comes to, for, for that waiting. The waiting, the fact that you're missing your husband, you wish your husband was home more often. And, but yet you're willing to grin and bear it for, the, the, for him to be able to learn. That's a tremendous chus for a woman uh, in this world and the next world. There's an interesting nitziv, the nitziv in, uh, in one of his farm called Meraime Sada, it's a safer on, on Shas, on this Gemar and Brachas, Yod Zayin, the nitziv says something fascinating, that the woman's schar, ironically, is even more than, the, than her husband's schar. Why? Because a woman gets reward for waiting for her husband, meaning the fact that I'm saying, you can go to night theater from 8 to 10, now, when does the odometer of schar start turning for the woman? Of that great schar of Tamatar, as soon as the guy leaves the door, honey, that's when the odometer starts turning, because that's when she's already saying goodbye and letting him go to learn. What happens to the guy? The guy, you know, is driving to yeshiva, he's looking for a parking spot for 10 minutes, then he comes in and then somebody bumps into him in the hallway and asks him, you know, if he has a certain phone number or if he, you know, if he heard about this hawk or that hawk. And then he goes, he sits down and learns and somebody comes and asks him something and then he might make a coffee for himself or whatever. And, you know, by the time all is said and done, when you boil it down, out of the two and a half hours that he was gone, maybe he learned an hour and a half, maybe two hours, but not two and a half hours. It's impossible. There's so much that has to go in to preparing before and after and in between. But the woman gets schar as if she was learning vicariously for all of that time. The two and a half hours is all on her cheshman. So you go up to Shemaim, you think, you know, the husband thinks he's all that because he's the one that was learning all that time. And you're getting much more schar than him because you were 
willing to be so dedicated to enabling him to learn for all of that time. I think with this, we can understand a little better, you know, the famous story with Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva's wife, Rachel, uh, you know, she wanted him to be a Talmud Chacham. She got married to him. He didn't really know much. And she sent him off to Yeshiva. And 12 years later, he came back. He was already a tremendous, tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he was about to come in to say hello to her. And he overheard, here is like a neighbor talking, you know, talking like sort of like, um, you know, criticizing her, or like making fun of her and saying, you know, that husband of yours, he's a deadbeat husband, he hasn't been home for 12 years, and what's up with that? And like, it's not normal, you're living like a widow. And she says, um, you know what, if you'd stay away for another 12 years, I'd be so happy. And Rabbi Kiva hears this, and he just, he turns around, and he goes back for another 12 years. And it's a Gemara which is like impossible to understand. The Reb Chaim Shmulevitz famously asked, like, she, he was there already. Like, couldn't he just stop in and say, hi, how are the kids? Like, do we have kids? Like, what's, you know, like, what's, uh, you, know, uh, you know, have a cup of coffee together, or, you know, something. Like, what's, what, what's with, up with Rebbe Kivi? Just And the answer might be that he understood, we don't understand these things, but he understood these Gemaras and all these that were, you know, all the things that we're saying. And he understood that the schar that she gets is for the waiting. And so if she has to wait 24 years, that's much greater than waiting 12 years and 12 years. It's, a, it's the, the anticipation and the, and the strain that she has to go through for Tyra is so much more powerful, but that's what she gets schar for. I just saw today um, an article about... Uh, about Rebetzin Kanievsky and her relationship to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. And it was really more about the Rebetzin. And Reb Shlomo Kanievsky, speaking about his mother, said that she was, you know, she was definitely, she was Meisir Nefesh for her husband. There's, you know, chapters and chapters written about the mysterious Nefesh that Rebetzin Kanievsky had for her husband. You know, she would try as hard as she could not to disturb his learning and she would make him meals whenever, you know, exactly what he liked, when he liked it, when he got older and he couldn't, uh, it was very hard for him to put his socks and shoes on, he couldn't bend, she she did it for him happily and she was like, she did everything in order to enable him to learn. And Reb Shlomo Kanievsky says, "The, the best way that I could describe my mother and, this, and her attitude is that she was like the wife of a prime minister. Like, does anyone go over to, like, Bibi Netanyahu's wife and say, I, uh, what's her name? Sarah. What? I think Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, I feel so bad. Your husband's, like, he's always flying, like, to America and to, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia and to, uh, you know, uh, uh, England. Like, it's terrible, right? Right? You, you probably, you miss him so, so, what are you talking about? I'm living, I'm the wife of the prime minister for crying out loud. Like, don't feel bad for me. I'm, I'm doing just fine. And that's how, that's how Rabbitson Kanievsky, she understood that her husband was the prime minister of Tyra. He was the Sarah Tyra. And she understood that it was the greatest privilege that she had was that she had a husband that she could wait for and that she could do for and she could, she could serve and she could make sure that he's able to learn as much as he can because that was, that was her covet 
wasn't like, don't feel bad for me. I'm not, this is not something that I'm doing because I, you know, against my will. This is what I want. This is my cover. This is my honor. What I'd like to talk about tonight is, um, you know, Meresh Shiva of Aaron Shechter was Nifter um, a few weeks ago and he's very, very close with him and uh, we miss him greatly and he was a tremendous person but I don't want to speak about him right now but I want to speak about his Rebetzin. Rebetzin Shoshana Shechter who was Nifteris about, I think about 10 years before he was. And I remember her very, very well because I used to eat by them on Shabbos constantly and on Yantav constantly. And let me tell you a little bit of a background about her and and then I'll, just a few things and I think it just really brings out everything that we're trying to convey here tonight. So her maiden name was Shoshana or Rose Leichtung. And her husband was a very wealthy man, her father rather, her father was very wealthy, had a very big uh, real estate empire, I think. I don't know, that might be overstating, but he was a very wealthy man. And she was a very talented young woman when she was single. She was very musical. She was, um, she was very, uh, um, you know, she had a, a lot of, uh, a lot of talents, um, and she had many, many prospects to marry. She was, you know, she had Alamilas, and and all of her friends, this was before the days of Kylo. This was the days before it was in vogue to marry somebody that was learning. Um, nobody was doing it. All of her friends, literally all of her friends, were marrying professionals, doctors, lawyers, businessmen, people of means, people that, you know, had potential, and she did not want any of that. Her father didn't want any of it either. She, he, her father would say, for my special Shoshana, only the best will do. For you, only a Talmud Chacham. That's all he wanted for her, and that's all she wanted for herself. So when Rav Hutner, who was the rabbi of Rav Aaron, the, the closest Talmud was Rav Aaron to Rav Hutner, when he suggested his prized Talmud as a suitable match for her, for Shoshana, so it became reality, the father's dreams and her dreams. They married in 1954, and his learning, his Talmidim, and everything that he did became her pride. She became his wife, and he became her life. And this was her pride. All of her friends married professionals. She didn't want it. She just always said that she was guaranteeing. They were saying, what about your future? Aren't you afraid of your future? Aren't you worried? She says, no, no, no. She says, I'm guaranteeing my future. My husband's growth and learning is my destiny. That's what she used to say. And... And she constantly... Uh, waited. This concept that we're speaking about, the Namtila Balaya, to wait for her husband. There was no set times for Ravaran. Ravaran never, you know, was home for dinner at six o'clock at night or Shabbos morning, you know, for, for the Suda by day, you know, at a set time. He had to be home by 11.45. 
he could be talking and learning with somebody and it could be one o'clock that he'd come home Shabbos. Or it could be later. Or it could be earlier. It could be supper, it could be at six, it could be seven, it could be nine. And she waited patiently. She never, she was a very fine person. Like she never, I don't think she raised her voice ever. I never heard her raise her voice. She was always like happy. She was always smiling. And she just did everything just pleasantly. I remember she would, she would sit outside in the car waiting to pick him up from second Seder in the afternoon. And I would go to her, and many people would probably, every guy came in, should I go get the Rashiva? No, no, no. Don't get him. When the Rashiva is ready to come, so I'm here. I'm not going to rush him. He obviously, he has things he has to do. He has things he has to do, and, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's her covet. Her covet is to wait for him, and whenever, uh, whenever he's ready, he'll come. Her son, Reb Mordechai Zelig, thank you. Reb Mordechai Zelig was her son, who, sad to say, today was his Levaya. Within a few weeks of his father, he was very, very sick. He was probably in, like in, his, in his mid-60s, and he was the Mashkiach in Chaim Berlin, and uh, he succumbed to his illness today. Today was his Levaya, I was just watching it uh, online. But... I was by his mother's Levaya, and his, by, by his mother's Levaya all those years ago, he said this following story, which like made on me a tremendous uh, reshim, that in the summers they would pack up and go to Camp Morris. Camp Morris is the summer home of Chaim Berlin. It's a beautiful camp up in the Catskills. And that's where Aviron was for two, three, two and a half months. That's where they would be. And so all of the kids... And the wife and everything. They spent a lot, a lot of time, you know, packing up the car. And there was things in every corner of the car, of whatever they had, a station wagon maybe at the time. And on the roof they had furniture and they had a refrigerator and they had a this and they had, you know, uh, beach balls and whatever they took, you know, all the tchotchkes they went. So, and, and um, once everything was packed, you know, they're waiting for, for, for a Varen to come and, uh, and they would drive up. He was going to drive the car. Remember, he used to drive back in the day. But he got, you know, so they, imagine the scene. Like, you're, it's a hot day. Everyone's in the car waiting to go. Everything is packed. They're excited to go. And Varen, you know, has, you know remember, is in the middle of thinking about something and learning. And he goes back into his house, into his study, and all the kids are clamoring, you know, Mommy, go get Tati. Like, you know, we have to leave. It's, it's hot. We want to start heading up. We want to get there in time, whatever. And she says, no. She says, Tati's learning. And when Tati is, is ready to leave, that's when we're going to leave. I'm not going to stop him. Imagine, imagine us, what we would do in that. You know, in two seconds, we'd be there. Get up here or else. Like, you know, everyone's in the car. The kids are making me crazy. I don't know. No. Total calmness. I think I remember, if I'm not mistaken, Ravaren like was thought and thought and thought and thought, and basically they they had to unpack and go back in the house. And they left the next morning. <laughs> Ravaren is learning. I can't disturb his learning. And that's a tremendous 
hallmark of a, of a Jewish woman. Obviously, it's an extreme. I don't think that any of us can, uh, you know, can expect it perhaps of ourselves or maybe you know, we don't see our husbands in that light perhaps or maybe both, but it's something that's really worthwhile you know, to think about and to, and to work on because this is really, uh, it's, this is our honor. This, is, this should be our covet that you know, we, we enable Talmud Torah and and this is something that we will get schar for. When Ravaren was sitting shiva for his rebbitzin, so let me back up a little bit just to give you a description of like what she did for him, so you can maybe better appreciate what I'm about to say. Besides for waiting for him in the car, besides for waiting, you know him, you know, to, for him to eat supper and to eat breakfast and everything. She was also, by the way, a principal, an English principal in a, in a very large school in Brooklyn for decades of her life. She was a very accomplished woman, very brilliant woman, and she managed the family business on the side as well, and she took care of the family and, and a million other things. But every Shabbos and every Yantif, she had a table full of Bachrim over. So whether or not her kids were young or whether they got older, there was always at least five, seven bachrim at, at Friday night Shabbos Yantif. Shal Shuddis, there was maybe 15, 20, maybe more around the table. And she had to set the table with china. She had to clean all the china. She had to, you know, cook and, 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 and prepare beautiful food and sit there while her husband was... These the sudas were not short sudas. There was miras, there was learning, there was, there was, it was just, it, sometimes they ended three, four hours later and she had to sit there, very often she would doze off because she was exhausted from all the preparations and everything and it was late at night, but she literally gave everything. Every Shabbos she gave to her husband to the yeshiva, every yontif she gave to her, to, to her husband to the yeshiva, and every day, it was her whole life, she gave everything. Uh, you know, the, in the vernacular, she left it all in the field. She, she didn't leave anything for herself. Everything she gave. And when she was Nifteris, I went to be Menachem Avel, by Rav Aaron, and I told him, you know, that the Rebetzin's Mesiris Nefesh was Ein Lashayah. The Mesiris Nefesh that she had, like the amount of sheer dedication and devotion that she gave to you know, to, to, the, to the Rashiva and to the Yeshiva and to the Talmidim was like unbelievable. And Ravaran took umbrage at what I said. He didn't like what I said. And he started raising his voice, which wasn't unusual for him. He says, no, she did not have Mesiris Nefesh. Mesiris Nefesh implies that she was doing something against her will. You know, if, I, if I'm forced to do something, you know, I have to, you know, jump through fire for you. That's Mesiris Nefesh. That's not what she was. She made a decision, he said. She made a conscious decision that this is what I want to dedicate my life to. This is what I want to do. I want to marry a Tamar Chacham. I want to make him into uh, a Tamar Chacham. I want to make him into a Rashiva. I want to make sure that his needs are taken care of and that his time is his own and he could think and he could breathe and he could live and he could, he could flourish. And she never 
went back on that decision. Meaning, if she would say to him, if she would have ever said to him, I can't do this anymore, it's not cute anymore, I can't, I can't make meals for 100 people a year, every, every night, I can't, I can't. And I want supper to be at 6, and I want you to do homework with the kids, I don't want you to, you know, if, as soon as she would have done that, he would have done that. If she would have said that, he would have done that. She wasn't being meister nefesh, she wanted to do this. This is something that she understood the importance of doing this, and she made a conscious decision, and, a, and, a, and she emphatically declared that this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to. And he was very upset that I would even imply that it was Monsieur Snap. It's not Monsieur Snap. Monsieur Snap was just like, she was like, you know, doing it, like being dragged by wild horses. That wasn't the way it was. She wanted to do this. For me, it seemed like Monsieur Snabish for her, but that's not what it was. She was actually a very, very willing, very willing partner, very willing participant. And this is what I wanted to share with you uh, this evening. You might not think that it has a whole lot to do with uh, the Am Nairam, but it does, because this is a time of year that we have to try to you know, recalibrate our priorities and to make sure that we're doing the right things and thinking in the right way and, and, and having our focus on not just this world, but the next world. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, all of your husbands... Are, are tremendous people and are aspiring to me to and whether they're learning full time or they're or they they're learning and working or learning and in school or whatever they may be, they're all doing things that are of the greatest importance. And when they're learning, it's important to let them learn. Don't interrupt them. Let them be. And and if they have to spend a little more time and say there and they come back a little bit later, that's your covet. That's your schus, that's your, that's your schar. And sometimes it's very inconvenient. It's on a Sunday, and you really want to go out, and you want to you know, go somewhere, and he, he promised he was going to, and he said he's going to be there, and, and he's late. And at those moments, like, try to remember what we spoke about here, because those are the moments that you could get upset, you could get anxious, you could get nervous, and you could have tightness, and, you know, where were you? I was waiting. But if he was learning, then that's your learning. It's not his thing. It's not like he's doing it for himself. He's doing it for himself. He's doing it for you. He's doing it for the family. He's doing it for Klal Yisrael. And give him that ability to feel important. Allow him to feel like this is the most important thing, you know, that you could be doing. And I appreciate it. And I understand that what you're doing is tremendous. And I'm, and I'm willing and able to do whatever it takes to make sure that you are doing it with the peace of mind that you need to do it. And that's all yours chos. As much as it's his chos, it's yours chos more than it's his chos. Nashim b'mayzachian, what is the chos of women? What are you going to get? Your amazing chelik and ilam haba, the 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 haba that we can't fathom, the the infinite pleasures of ilam haba that only that primarily come to those that learn Torah. How are women going to get it? They're going to get it by enabling their husband, waiting for their husband, sending their husbands off to learn with a smile and being patient for them to come home and understanding that this is the greatest thing that we could be doing together.